You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Hey guys, we have a great show for you today. We have Russell Carr, the head of design for Lotus Cars, uh, joining us from the UK. He's going to tell us all about what's going on with the company and their new all-electric 2,000 horsepower hypercar. It's going to be exciting. Before we get started, we'll talk about our friends from Geico. Whether you own your home or rent your home, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can bundle your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. And that's a good thing too, because you have so much to do around your home already. Geico makes it super easy. Just go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you can save. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Hey guys, welcome to CarCast. I am Matt, the Motorator DeAndrea, here with uh, Bill Goldberg. Uh, how are you doing, buddy? How's Texas? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Texas is uh, Texas. Is Texas. It's wonderful. It's, uh, like I said, again, uh, the best place uh, to be quarantined for two or three months on over a 100-acre property. Uh, it gives you a plethora of responsibilities to take care of every single day. So I know, it's all right? Good. It's constant. Constant work. We're going to have a good show today. We've got uh, we've got Russell Carr from uh, he's the the design director for Lotus in the UK. Uh, he's going to be uh, joining us as well. We're going to talk about some new things about uh, what's going on with Lotus um, and uh, the new uh, electric supercar that I saw at Monterey last year, the Avisia, I believe. Um, I want to make sure I'm saying that right. We'll find out from Russell. Uh, before we get started, a reminder from our friends at Dodge. With Dodge Power Dollars, for every horsepower of your new Dodge vehicle purchase, you'll get $10 off. So peeling out in a 2019 Dodge Charger RT Scat Pack, hey, no problem. You just got 4580 bucks off. Uh, I think I saw some uh, photo posted uh, from our buddy uh, uh, Marcus Angel. Uh, the undercarriage of the lawman is getting it all kind of buttoned up. I'm sure he's been uh, maybe sending you some photos and stuff as well. It's a it's a race, man. You know how it is. It's a race. It's a race uh, between getting the space available for the lawman to be finished and it actually being finished. So, yeah, and then I I know there were some ideas of like where to take it or where to debut it, but now that every event on the planet is on hold, I I'm not exactly sure if that hurts or helps. Is does it maybe ease the it pressure helps. on a timeline? But it uh, exponentially, uh, you know. Yeah. Obviously, you don't. I mean, it, we were um, supposed to debut it in November. Uh, Marcus didn't want to. This isn't the restoration that needs to be rushed by any stretch of imagination. Like you need to, to rush any of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got to take extra time with this one. So uh, we we pushed that date, and then looks like everything else has obviously been pushed. Um, the longer we have to not have to make a decision as to where it's going to go and when it's going to go, the better. Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you know, as we've talked about uh, on the shows the past few weeks is how pretty much Monterey Car Week is is completely canceled. Pebble Beach is canceled. The auctions are canceled. Um, we know that uh, 
the, the quail event is canceled. Uh, Concorso Italiano is canceled. So it's all pretty much done. The only thing up in the air right now is still the races, the vintage races, the Rolex historics. Um, that event can sort of stand alone on its own and just do the racing event. Maybe, you know, fewer spectators, more about the racing. Um, but uh, we'll still see if that happens. But also, I don't know what that does to uh, a Woodward Dream Cruise, uh, uh, which apparently that's still on the schedule for August. I'm told Roadkill Nights is still on the schedule for August. And I'm told Hot Rod Power Tour has been moved to like August uh, 20 something, 23rd, 20 something. Cause you know, it's whatever, it's a week long, um, which is, it falls on the same weekend of the Indy 500, which was rescheduled to August 23rd. But I'll tell you, all of these things are tentative. I, I just don't know it, that they're well, going I to mean, happen. Yeah. I mean, when they make, when they make this, the decision, what's the landscape going to be like? Right. You know, are you going to be able to sit next to somebody at a race? I, you know, are you going to be able to sit next to, next to somebody on an airplane, for God's sakes? You know, yeah. anymore. So um, it's it's a matter of time before we find out what the landscape's going to look like. And it's a, it's a weird deal. You know, everything's yeah. up in the air. And, I mean, you're obviously going to be reinventing the wheel with the decisions you make. Um, and, you know, hopefully nobody falls on the sword by making a, a bad decision. Um, I'm very curious to see not only when they come back, but how they're, what the landscape's going to look Yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting for sure. I had uh, a chat with a friend the other day that uh, is on the board of directors at a world famous Los Angeles hospital, we'll just say. And, uh, and uh, you don't have to specify anymore. And, and he was basically telling me, you know, they're, they're doing their thing every day. And as far as social distancing, is it working or not? And he's saying, yes, it is. And it's, it's basically flattened uh, the, as far as like ER and, and people going in with cases, it's flattened out. It's, it's not lower. It's not higher. They sort of reached a number that they're seeing going in and, and treatments going out. And that's where it is. But as far as, the future on on like vaccines and stuff he's like these, these guys aren't even really even having that discussion yet because a vaccine which would have to be created for something like seven billion people is is still in the distance right like even if you get something approved it's likely that the u.s because of our our resources and 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 money available in the private sector uh would be able to get on it first and multiple companies would have to do it because of the amount we would need. And I, I just don't see it happening before, you know, January, February next year. But you got to you know, look at a realistic timeline of it. Yeah. Um, but that's by far the earliest that anything like that's going to happen. Uh, anyway, that all being said, I don't know what it's going to do to, to the events this year. Uh, we'd like to do some events. We're excited about doing some events. Um, uh, if, if some of the events did open up like Rolex Historics, I think we would go. We'd put a little bit of trust in the in the organizers that they would do the research and and take the precautions to make sure everybody was safe. And then we would do, you know, our own stuff, of course, whatever, masks, gloves, cleaning and, and whatnot. And if it's, you know, maybe there's no, you know, handshake, meet and greets. Maybe there's just, you know, some social distancing at the track and uh, and, and kind of do it that way. It doesn't have to be 
you know, just, uh, uh, you know, long lines and crowds at the auctions and Pebble Beach, you know, uh, you know, toasting cocktails and stuff. We could still go and, and do the track. If, if they make it available, I think we'd be interested in, in exploring going. But um, I guess uh, I guess we'll see what it go, how, it, how it goes. I, I, I understand the hesitation of a lot of the big companies. Um, you know, obviously we work with Dodge over here. They're a big sponsor of Roadkill Nights. Um, they would love to do that event, but, but I get it. It's like, Hey man, it, it, the responsibility fiscally or, you know, and, and socially for a company like that would be, do they want to invite a bunch of people at an event? Um, that's very sort of close quarters. And two, do they want to require their employees to work such an event? And it opens yourself up to, to potential lawsuits and something else. If, if, if a company tells me I got to go to work at an event like this and then somebody gets sick or I get sick, you know, you could potentially sue that company and go, Hey, you, you forced me into this. I said, I didn't want to do it. Right. And, and no company wants to be in that situation. Right. So even if somebody said, Hey, we're going to do an event, Will the money show up? Will the sponsors show up? Will the vendors show up? Like that's that's the question. You can't just say we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. Even it gives, the SEMA it gives, show, it gives people the opportunity to to think outside of the box because they have to right now. Whoever comes up with that unbelievably cool formula of how to put these events on is gonna is gonna revolutionize the business. Yeah, all these businesses. We're all going to walk around like John Travolta, the boy in the plastic bubble from years ago. I don't think it's going to be that. (laughs) Well, at an event. I think this this provides opportunities for people to think outside of the box Mm -hmm. because they have to. And somebody's going to come up with some very interesting ways to entertain people from now on. I already saw one company has already developed like a robot, like a bomb squad robot that you can send in. But it was a robot that can go in and and already detect uh like coronavirus like i don't know in the air or on surfaces so you don't even have to send somebody in to do it to test it this thing can go in and and give some sort of initial test i don't know that's kind of kind of smart right like if, if yeah, you have like, a, it's like sitting in the security standing in the security line to get into the super bowl it's going to be like seven hours long and there's going to be one there's going to yeah. be one uh, robot right there taking Taking uh, people's temperature, trying to <laughs> it will be. Um, all right, let's uh, let's bring Russell in. Uh, uh, Chris has got uh, Russell queued up from uh, from Lotus, and uh, uh, and we'll we'll chat a little bit about what's going on uh, with with those guys over there. Uh, give us a second. I see him connecting. Um, Just want to know when they're going to make a bigger car. That's all. <laughs> I'm driving the uh, Lotus Amora GT right now. It is snug, my friend. It is snug. Hey, thank you. <laughs> uh, for for you sure. Wonder why I like American sports cars. Yeah. There we go. Hello. Hey, yeah. Russell. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm back to normal with British weather. It's raining outside, so <laughs> we're much more comfortable now. When it was sunny and we were wearing shorts, we felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, make it yeah. stop. Uh, we've got things to complain about now rather than just uh, coronavirus. So. Well, hopefully uh, uh, everyone's uh, uh, being safe over there as well. We get we get some of the news about it over there, but uh, we've we've got uh, we've got our own. 
uh, we've got our own politics and whatnot going on over here, which is uh, entertaining to say the least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, so Russell, you are uh, you're you're in the UK. You're you're you've been at Lotus for a long time. You're the head of design at Lotus. Uh, you've been around uh, at Lotus since what? Since about 1990 or so. Yeah, 1990 I joined, yeah, so just coming up to 30 years. So, uh, yeah, it's been an enjoyable time. As, as, a, as a very young man, I had uh, a, a, a Lotus Elan convertible, like the 91. Yeah. Yeah, 90, 91. Yeah. Um, real fun car to drive. Not the best car in the world, but... <laughs> but uh, but with the little Isuzu engine, it was just, uh, uh, Bill. If you're not familiar with it, it's a it's a little two door convertible front engine, front wheel drive. I can picture you in it right now. Yeah, it was it was red. Um, it's a beautiful red. It 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 was it was fun to drive. Yeah, Chris is bringing up some photos. Um, there you go. Uh, just, I want to see you and your mullet going down Hollywood Boulevard. uh, And I'm telling you, just a crazy amount of like torque steer, like front engine, front wheel drive, little turbo. And when you get on it, it just wants to dart over to the side, like just crazy torque steer. Uh, on that, thing. Well, that, I, that should be that should be absent because they did this clever thing, didn't they? Was it called the raft or something? Something with the um, like a subframe at the front, which was supposed to take out some of the torques. Yeah, I don't know that it really worked. Like if you if you <laughs> took your if you took your hand off the wheel and just mashed it down, you'd be darting off into the lawn somewhere. Uh, it was, I just do. I remember that, but it it seemed like it just handled great. It was a fun car, and just you know to 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 be you know like like. 15, 16, and, and really start to, like, cut your teeth, like, legally driving a manual transmission and stuff in a car like that um, was exciting. Well, that's so, a pretty uh, good place to start. Uh, I don't think many of us start on something as fun as that. Certainly not in the UK. Usually it's something uh, more uh, sober in the UK you start driving on. So Yeah, and it, it wasn't, you know, I don't even know where it, where it came from. Um, you know, my, my, my dad had it. It was used and it just turned out to be one of these things where like he was doing a deal with somebody and uh, uh, helping out uh, a guy and, and there was some sort of trade involved and not a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. We ended up with, with this, with this car. And uh, uh, it was interesting. It was fun. And, and uh, so right now this week I'm, I'm driving the uh, Lotus Evora GT, uh, which. Uh, Are you enjoying that? Yeah, I am. It's 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 definitely different than the uh, than the Elan from back in the day. Um, uh, this thing has been a blast to drive so far. Uh, you know, just before you were joining in, probably something a little bit difficult for uh, somebody like uh, Bill Goldberg over here to fit into at at I don't know six six four six three six four and uh, just, I don't know two fifty. Bill popping yeah, the, the two seventy parts the part that's uh, unmanageable. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a, it's 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 meant for uh, it's meant for little guys, I, I would say uh, for sure. But um, uh, you've had the opportunity to to work on a number of cars with you know at your your tenure of of Lotus, um, but also have seen uh, sort of the the ups and downs of of the company as well. And before we get into the new cars, um, which I know is your favorite part, being the head of design. Um, but uh, it, first of all, I'm a fan of Lotus. I'm a fan of of 
of Lotus cars, of Lotus design, and Lotus engineering. And I always thought Lotus could even survive as, as an engineering consultant if they would design an engineering consultant if, if they wanted to um, and not even build cars because they have so much, uh, so much legacy there and such a talented group. Um, but the company has seen investors sort of come and go and change hands in ownership uh, uh, a number of times. What's the current state of Lotus, and and is this is this the best time for Lotus now? I think it's yeah. I mean, I think it is the best time. Certainly, it's the best time of all the time I've been at uh, Lotus. Um, I joined when we were owned by GM, which should have been good, but then fairly shortly afterwards, GM moved out, um, and then we were owned by um, Proton, a Malaysian. Uh, well, no, sorry, in between, we were owned by Romano Artioli, who owned Bugatti. And then we were owned by uh, Proton. Um, and now we're owned by Geely, the company that also owns uh, Volvo. So we're very fortunate now. We've got a company that's uh, able to invest in Lotus and also provides a lot of technical support as well. So, um, you know, cars these days are very complex things and there's certain technologies that you need to have uh, a lot of uh, investment and a lot of development work in, and um, we're able obviously to tap straight into that. You know, for example, uh, interior electronics and uh, user interfaces and all those sorts of things. But uh, now being part of the Geely Group, uh, we've got access to all that. So uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really exciting time to be at Lotus. Um, we're seeing headcount increase. Uh, we're seeing lots of exciting. Uh, products and uh you know in the big wide world i think everyone's excited to see see us uh, stable again and have a promise of uh, new products on the way what's the current structure of lotus is is it all under one umbrella is there lotus cars is there a separate lotus engineering group that works with other companies lotus racing or is there a an engineering side of racing or is that a separate company now that's not associated with with you guys how did it sort of basically one of the pieces fall there's basically one lotus and within that there is a division that does consultancy work does engineering work as we used to call it and it's not just engineering it's other things um it's it's not the biggest part of the company but then there's the car company that designs engineers and builds cars and at the moment, there is no uh, specific uh, race team side of things. Um, you know, there has been in recent years. In recent years, we've been back in Formula One, but we're not, we're not currently in Formula One. Uh, but we do have um, plans to go back into some form of motorsport in the not-too-distant future. So the only side at the moment that is racing uh, Lotuses, other than the independents, you know, some of our dealers race in various series around the world, but the only other side is uh, is the company called Classic Team Lotus, which is run by Clive Chapman, and they're based just across the road from us, but they are a separate company, and he looks after all the uh, single-seaters, the monoposto, whatever you want to call them, cars, from the very first ones right up to, um, basically, he looks after the ones up to about 1990, 91, I think. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that... that and they, they compete in all these uh, classic race series around the world. Um, in fact, yeah, last year I was there to see them compete at uh, Laguna Seca. So, uh, yeah, they race all over the world. 
the uh, so the core business right now is is going the focus is on Lotus cars. It's what you guys, uh, what we yeah. currently have in the market, the Evora, and uh, and the and the future car. Um, there's uh, uh, and I, w- I want to talk about that a little bit more. I had the opportunity some number of years ago to uh, grab the Lotus Evora S, I believe, when the supercharger just came out on that car. Um, I went out to uh, to a track out here in Palm Springs, California, called Thermal, and uh, uh, we did uh, I don't know did about a day and a half of of driving in those cars uh, to get a feel for the track, to get a, a little bit of instruction, and then um, on the on the second day they uh, they brought out um, a, a Lotus ten cylinder F one car, which which. Uh, they they basically fired up and they said, "Get in, put your helmet on, good luck, and go do a couple laps in this car." And it's amazing because I don't quote me on the exact horsepower, but it was ridiculous amounts. Like if it, if in race trim it's I don't know seven hundred, they said, "Oh, we got it down to six forty five. You'll never notice the difference." But the longevity, the the reliability of that engine by just detuning it, you know, a, a, a few points. Uh, was exponential, like you know. And they said, so we've detuned a little bit. And then these guys, for some crazy reason, gave me an opportunity to just get in this wow. car myself and uh, and haul ass around that track. Um, and uh, I could, I, I tell you, it is, it was the most amazing thing I've ever driven. First of all, the ten cylinder. Um, I know the the engines have changed over the years. Sounds amazing having that thing behind you is is amazing and and it's interesting because the evora they're like hey get out there on the track you know you're with the instructor you're getting into a turn and you're like hey if you're hearing some tire squeal you're losing traction so you you either need to let up on the steering or let up on the on the on the throttle which we all know makes sense they said now that you've learned that forget it because when you get in the f1 car if you feel like you're losing traction they said, hit the throttle more because the downforce on the car pushes it to the ground as it's going faster. So, mm-hmm. and, and everything, and of course, starting it is complicated. There's a big, like, jack shaft on a giant, you know, like, drill, basically, and they plug it into the back of the car. And it's like three guys got to do it. And they got to come out like a minivan if you stall it out in the middle of the uh, of the track. And they're like, whatever you do, don't stall it. So everyone's like, what do you mean? And so everybody's super nervous about it. Uh, and uh, you watch you watch movies. You even watch like cartoons, and you see the you know the lines of the street start to blur as you go really fast, like in a you know like the CGI effects in a Fast and Furious movie. And then you realize you get in a car like that, and there's a huge long straightaway. And you mash the the throttle, and on the top of the steering wheel, it's just the lights that are coming up, the shift lights, and you're just just zoom, 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 and you're just banging gears in that thing. You realize that's true. Like it just gets blurry along your sides, and and your helmet is lifting off of your head and starting to pull off your head. You realize your helmet's not the right size, and it makes your neck hurt afterward. Like it's the most intense experience you've ever done in your life. You're like, holy shit, what's going on? And then and. And the whole time, you're like, don't stall it, don't stall it. And then, you know, you get your two laps, you get out, you're still shaking, and the next guy gets in there, and everybody, 
then you see like a line of 10 people all just shaking who are in the car. The guy's like, ha, 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 ha. Just, the, the Lotus guys are just laughing at you all going, see, it was fun, right? So uh, a, a crazy a crazy experience, a uh, once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, was uh, very fortunate to get invited to something like that. But uh, but the, uh, the experience of getting in the Evora years ago and doing that and then that car, and now um, – I have this uh, GT that was loaned to me to drive for a little bit, powers up on it a little bit. And uh, it's, it's a fun, it's, it's a real fun car. Um, just, you're right, Bill, it's, it's a small car. It's a, it's a little snug getting in and out of it for sure. But um, this one that I have here is a, is a proper manual transmission. And, I'll, and uh, the one I put on the track was, uh, was paddle shift. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I noticed in this Avora GT is, that that little click noise when you're shifting that manual, almost like a steel gated shifter, uh, and it's so satisfying to have that. I that's got to be intentional on you guys' part. You just give it that little. Yeah, no, that was that was done um, a few years ago. I, I guess about three four years ago, they did some development on the uh, gear shift mechanism, and on the Exige and Elise that we still sell in uh, in Europe we actually expose the mechanism as well. So not only do you, you feel the difference, but you actually see the, the mechanism, the structure underneath, which uh, I think is really cool. Um, oh, yeah. As well. So, yeah, you, that sort of amplifies that snick, snick thing. So that, yeah, I think that's a really big step forward, the, the, the whole engineering development around that gear shift mechanism. So when I when I return this car back to the Lotus guys and the uh, and the shifter boot is ripped off and put in the passenger seat, I'll tell them it was your idea. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always designed anyway, so that won't be any problem. <laughs> um, I want to uh, I want to talk about the next uh, the next car that you guys are working on. Now it seemed like it wasn't that long ago, uh, just a number of years ago. Um, under previous ownership, but possibly a different CEO at the time, um, Lotus had big aspirations of of coming out, and they're like, "We're we have four cars or five cars, and we're going to fill the lineup of ultra supercar down to sports car." And it just seemed like a lot of vehicles announced all at once. Um, uh, very cool idea. Uh, good good attention to Lotus on saying what we're capable of doing, um, but maybe the resources weren't in place to make that happen. Um, so now it looks like it's pared down a little bit. We have the Avora and, and the new all-electric car that you guys are working on, right? Well, that's the start of the journey. Yeah, there is going to be a range of cars, but yeah, we're doing it differently the way we did it last time. We're going in, we're not saying what we're doing in the future. We're not promising big we're just starting off with one car which is the the avaya and that's a real statement of intent about the company going forward so um great place to start doing such an extreme vehicle uh for us working into design and you know all the shackles come off uh it's time for us i think it's disney isn't it to say dream big you know we can flex all those creative muscles obviously doing uh, a limited run of 130 cars hand built the latest technology we can you know, we can really push the boat out and beyond that there will be other cars they'll obviously be more conventional more affordable vehicles and they won't go quite as far as that but we've we've set out some of the principles both in the way the car 
the looks and some of the technologies. Um, and I think for us also, it was a way of us, uh, I don't know if you use the same phrase in, in the States, but getting match fit, you know, it's like a sportsman when they haven't been playing sport for a while. We, we've had relatively small projects uh, in recent years to work on. And then suddenly we've got this amazing thing to design, you know, the most powerful EV sports car in the world. Um, basically, for us, no limits. Suddenly, yeah, you can you can get really match fit and push yourself, constantly pushing yourself. You you do something and then think, well, I didn't think we'd be able to do that. We can go a bit further, go a bit further, etc. So it's been a it's been a fantastic project to be on. It's got everyone in the company re-infused as well um you know initially we're the first guys to go forward in the studio uh, doing the, the initial design work and one one or two technical guys um but as time goes on more engineers get on board and then um last summer before we showed the car in london we were able to show the car to the rest of the, the company uh, all the guys who work in the factory producing the aura and the exigen elise that we, we sell in europe as well and, you know, that was the first time they'd seen the car. And it was um, not just the product, but it was a symbol of what was going to happen under the new ownership, you know, the new things, new exciting things coming forward. So, uh, yeah, everyone was able to get, you know, motivated, get excited by seeing this car. Was, was the intention from the beginning with, with this to create a, ha- a halo car for that reason, to create excitement for the brand, to create excitement internally uh, amongst uh, uh, all the, the employees of Lotus? Was, was that the only option? Like, we need, we need a halo car, and then we'll fill in in between the lineup from there. But let's start with that. Or, or was there other motivation behind this no, I think it probably was I can't say for certain because we got we got just a very simple brief uh, I think it was back in about August September 2017 we just got a message through our CEO that the owner of the company the chairman he wanted us to do uh, an EV uh, hypercar and it was that kind of simple mm-hmm. um, and there wasn't any reasons given initially behind it but you pretty soon understand the logic behind it. It is that idea that it's a halo product. The effects of it cascade down in terms of branding, the customer perception. You know, it, it re-reminds people what, what Lotus has been over the years. It's been pushing the boundaries. It's at the forefront of technology. It's, it's you know, the leading sports car uh, one of the leading sports car manufacturers, you know, our cars are all about being for the drivers, the driving experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's what a halo car is about. Or you can say, you know, it's a statement of intent. But, yeah, it motivates the staff. It re-engages the public. It does so many things. Yeah, and we're obviously working on other products now. And we use we can use that car now as a, as a reference point. As I say, we, we, we can't go quite as extreme on other things. Um, but um, but it can certainly inspire us as we go forward. Well, I got to chime in for a second. I'm after your description um, of your your job title since basically the '90s. I'm really, I really have to say, I'm sorry that you're not having any fun at what you're doing. <laughs> because what an enviable position to be in to have the gloves taken off, as we say here in the states, huh? and to be able to develop such a car with, with no ceiling. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, 
I think I said when we were launching the car, we're pretty lucky because our day job is designing sports cars. And, you know, as a, as a designer, to design a sports car once in your life is something very special. And we do that day in, day out. Because of some of the tough times Lotus has gone through, we haven't often been able to do all new sports cars, which is a shame. We very often have done things and we get clay models and we get part of the way there and then they get stopped. So to be given an, a complete new car from ground up is fantastic. And then to be told it's a hypercar, it's got to be the best of the best. I mean, there's huge responsibilities with that. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who want to criticise whatever you do at the end, and you're very aware of that, and you, you're aware of the, the responsibility to the brand as well. But at the same time, as you say, yeah, gloves are off. Um, I, can, I can go to anything in the toolbox, uh, toy box here and have a play. And obviously, initially, when you start something, you, you have some ideas and you're testing, testing the water. You don't know you're doing it, but you start realising that people are starting to eat it up. They really like this and you push, yeah. it, push a bit further. And for us, it was kind of like that with the, um, the aerodynamic philosophy behind the car. So as you're probably aware on the car, we, we've adopted this thing they use in motorsport, transparency, porosity, basically ducting the air through the car as well as over the top surfaces. And uh, we thought it was cool because it gave us a reason for doing different shapes, sculpture on the car, draws your eye through the car, gives the car speed. We knew it should work technically as well. Um, and initially there was a bit of hesitancy from some people because it's more complex to do. But we were very lucky that uh, Lotus's main aerodynamicist was extremely supportive and thought it was a good idea to go with it and really helped us. And, you know, initially there was a little bit of hesitancy, but then some people went, hey, this is really cool. I think this is a good idea. And then you can obviously push a bit further. Hey, what about if we do this? And then the aerodynamics guys get involved and they go, we think this will, you know, give us more downforce or some better effect. What do you think? Does this look cool visually? And then usually we say, well, that's, that's kind of cool, but maybe it looks a bit too, you know, science project. What about if we do this shape with it? And they go, hey, cool, that'll work. And then all of a sudden you're into this fantastic um, relationship with other people in the company as well. And you're, you're on a journey together. And that's, that's really, really exciting. Yeah. Um, um, I want to take a look at the car. Maybe someone to turn the project off and say, uh, no, calm down, calm down. We're going to just put some stripes on a car, we've decided. But it never happened. And, and now we're, uh, we're running prototypes and we're going to be uh, subject to the crazy things going on in the world. At the moment, we'll be producing cars at the end of the year. So uh, it's, all, it's all going strong. Um, uh, uh, Chris, maybe you can find some, some pictures of, uh, of, the, of the car. The car is absolutely um, gorgeous. The rear end of that car is just to die um, it looks amazing, but um, uh, the part I wanted to bring up, as, as, as the designer of this, you and your team, when you're given instruction going, hey, we want an EV, you, it seems like maybe you get excited about that, although unconventional because we think of hypercars still having some sort of a, a, you know, gas-powered engine. 
But as a designer, you don't have limitations of trying to squish an engine into trying to stuff a big engine or, or whatever into there. And then with that engine comes with the radiators and cooling and things like that. So now you can really kind of form a shape that's just, uh, just fantastic and gorgeous. But, but, but then you have to kind of, I don't know, maybe reel it back a little bit because it still needs to look like a car. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we started off, we said to, we had some sort of um, aspirations some guidelines when we designed the car, you know. We said it had to look beautiful, and that sounds obvious. Well, of course, you think every car designer would say their cars have to look beautiful, but it's quite easy when you're doing something this extreme to get carried away and just go into complete sort of, fantasy land with a, a product um and it's also important i think with a, a lotus that historically if you go right the way back to the chapman era of cars they were always about blending things that were technically advanced but also very um elegant visually so when we were doing evaya that was something we we really wanted to get that sort of uh, balance into the car um but of course, you know, we're, we're thinking, well, what, what makes it a Lotus? Well, it's got to be ingenious. It's got to be clever in some way. So obviously the EV gave us opportunity to, to do that. Um, it's got to, it's got to be memorable. The sculpture that we're doing makes the thing memorable and also the technology. And of course it's still got to be, uh, recognizable as a Lotus. So we obviously think about certain forms that people will hopefully recognize in a subtle way, a Lotus, but also thinking about the principles behind every Lotus product and how we can work with those, you know, about weight efficiency, driving dynamics, and aerodynamic efficiency. How can we, how can we support those technical attributes with the way we design the surfaces of the car, but also express them in the surfaces of the car? So uh, they're the sort of things we start off with. But so, yeah, the, the EV thing definitely opened up some opportunities because as you absolutely correctly said the packaging of the motors and the battery allow for more flexibility in where you put the surfaces and then the fact fact that it's not a 2000 horsepower internal combustion engine car yeah don't have to have huge radiators all over the place you have to have more radiators than you might think but it's certainly not the same as an internal combustion engine so uh, i I, I had the opportunity to see this car or, or some version prototype or just a design model or something at, um, I believe it was at the Monterey Car Week at the, uh, at the Quail event last yep. year. Um, and I, I will tell you, you get up on this car in person, it is, it is stunning. It is absolutely gorgeous. And Bill, you're right. The, the rear of it, that rear three-quarter shot that we're seeing right now, the angle of that car is just fantastic. When you really see kind of how deep it goes into the back where the Lotus branding is and, and, uh, and the scoops on the sides, um, it's, it, it's a stunning car. You guys are, are uh, uh, nailing it with this car for sure. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's going to cost. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I know I can't afford it, and I know there's only going to be a limited edition of them. But, uh, I, I imagine, know I can't fit it. <laughs> you probably can't fit in it. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting to, to hear your thoughts on how, 
is is this setting a design direction for Lotus as well? Are we going to start to see these elements start to trickle down to some of the other cars, EV or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, there, there's some elements which will go forward into uh, other products. Um, I don't want to go into too many details for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we obviously want to keep some uh, things uh, confidential for our future products, but also... Uh, we also like to reserve the right to change our minds sometimes as well. But I think for me, one thing which is from the past, but is in this car that's really important, is the kind of very muscular haunches, you know, the, the fender shapes over the wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not the only people who do that, I know that. But if you look at what we've been doing recently on cars like the Evora and the Exige, and then if you look back in our history, the racing cars like the Type 40 and the Type 11, you can see that, that sort of philosophy. And for me, visually, what it does is it, you're able to make the cabin look as though it's hunkered down between the wheels, like a sports prototype of any, any era. Um, and that's a good visual message because it makes the car look like it's got low centre of gravity. It's going to be dynamic which is what we're all about. It's what the cars are all about, the driving experience. Um, but also, you know, it's just it's just a very pleasing, full, soft, fluid, sculptural shapes, you know, never really date at all. Uh, the challenge then is obviously to find other areas on the, uh, the exterior of the car where you can innovate and bring new things to it. So, for example, on a Via, as you rightly say, when you look at the back of the car, you can see the exits from the three-quarter Venturi, which are these, these drag reduction and, and uh, downforce-enhancing uh, aerodynamic features. And then we've got the lights ring the exit of those ducts, which is I think is completely unique. I can't think of another car that does that. So that's something very new and unique on the car. When you look at the front, we've got these very sort of tall, slim uh, headlights with these little wing forms in. We, we used a lot of aviation uh, references when we were designing the car, and it's a bit like the wing tips on a model airliner. And they're all um, laser technology inside there, so obviously we're right at the cutting edge of, of uh, that. Of course, we have no uh, mirrors on the car, traditional mirrors on the outside, so we've got these little cameras that deploy, um, very sort of James Bond style, a bit like our old pop-up headlights, when you uh, turn the car on and then we've got screens inside for driving. So there's, there's things that remind you uh, that it's a Lotus, but then there are things, oh, I wasn't expecting Lotus to do that. And that's really important. And that's what Lotus used to be. It used to be always trying new things. And, uh, and that's certainly on the exterior and, of course, on the interior, what we, uh, we try to do on this car. And it sets a tone for the, the future products. Will, will, you, will you be able to keep all of those elements on a production version of the car, specifically the, the, the cameras instead of the side mirrors? Or, or the government's going to come in at some point and, and start to mess up your design? <laughs> <laughs> I think cameras are coming, aren't they? I think uh, the U.S. is one of the markets that's uh, still holding out against it. You can, with a car like this, which is low volume and you do you know show and display type uh, sales on them you can you can be okay with it but uh, in um in the rest of the world as you know audi and people are now starting to put them in for certain markets yeah uh, so i think it i think it is it is coming um and it's an interesting challenge for us all you know we we had to go through the debate about 
where do you put the cameras, uh, what's the most efficient, where do you put the screens, and we started off, we all thought it'd be super cool to have the screens on either side of the steering wheel so you felt like you were a Formula One driver, but then some people said, well, this is really irritating because you've got flickering images close to your peripheral vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's so, a behavioral shift as well. It's like, what are we normally doing? And we've learned to lurk, look left and right. So I don't know if the screens end up being where a mirror would be like, but inside the car, sort of in the, you know, the A pillars, you know, there uh, just because of what we've been trained to do. Yeah, no, so it's a really interesting one. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to question all of those. Are they behavioral ones because it's the correct answer or is it just something that you've learned uh, over the years and will another generation think, why did we ever do this? You just <laughs> think where My answer we're, is yes. a real turning point, you know. Um, and obviously we had the same debates about the EV uh, powertrain as well. Um, uh, I, like you guys, you know, still love, love the look of an uh, internal combustion engine, the sound of it. But we know EVs are coming. We can now watch various forms of motorsport. People are racing EV cars. Mm-hmm. They generate their own soundtrack. Um, and there'll be a coming generation. He'll, he'll judge both equally. It'll be just they're exciting for different reasons, you know. Um, and, of course, the thrill of this car <laughs> is the biggest thrill you can have in any kind of uh, vehicle, really, is that sense of change of state, is acceleration, is change of direction. So you've got a car that accelerates phenomenally, um, you know, the sort of what you would normally term as in-gear ter- times. I mean, this isn't in-gear, but um, but it's they're phenomenal. The, the zero to 60 is phenomenal. And, of course, you've got huge... Um, mechanical and aerodynamic uh, uh, grip on this car, so it will change direction really quickly as well. So it's uh, it's going to be a real roller coaster of a ride driving it. So uh, perhaps your practice of uh, driving the uh, F1 car. And will, where uh, w- where is the powertrain going to be coming from? Is this something you guys are developing, or is this something that's coming from uh, possibly from Geely and and Polestar and Volvo, some of the, the, this, the other... This was developed uh, unique for this car. So for the EV systems, we've been a technical partnership with uh, Williams, you know, who are the former mm-hmm. guys. They're obviously sourcing certain componentry from uh, areas, various other places, but then they they assemble the, uh, the battery packs, for example. Uh, we've got... Uh, I'm at slightly out of my depth here. You know, I'm a visual guy, not a technical guy, but we've got these really clever combined, I think, gearbox and uh, e-motors, which are from a, a British-based company, very compact, one at each corner, so 500 horsepower at each corner, basically, so we can obviously do um, torque vectoring and things like that. Um, so it's it's independent, really, of the Geely Group, a lot of what, what's being done on this okay. car, partly because it's the very first pro- project we did. And, you know, we weren't as fully enmeshed as we are now. But um, Will there be a, a big technology for this car? Is there a, a, a multi-gear transmission of any sort? Is it a direct drive, just one gear? Or, or will there be sort of a two-speed or three-speed transmission? Technically, I'll get out of my depth here. But the way I understand it, it is it's a single it's a single speed um, solution. But So you need to talk to the technical guys to really... Yeah. 
All I know is, you know, the well, on paper figures are oh, you know, phenomenal. Uh, well, we're we're uh, we're running out of time here, but uh, I appreciate uh, Russell. Thank you so much. The car seems fantastic. I think we're 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 more excited now than than ever before about about Lotus and what Lotus is doing. I think you guys nailed it on the design. I think the car is gorgeous. I think the ability of of having an electric drivetrain and no traditional gas engine. Uh, one of the things you, we see on this car it, when you compare it to hypercars, there's no big crazy wings and stuff that are going on because you're able to push the air through the car and get the downforce and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you, it just makes it look gorgeous. What you guys have done is, is yeah, fantastic. That's very much deliberate. Yeah, we wanted a car that, you know, was kind of in one way discreet it's not quite the right word but you could view it as just a beautiful car and then you walk around and you start seeing this uh, crazy sculpture so yeah we have obviously limited active aero as well we've got a deploying wing we've got drs flaps so that's very unusual normally these cars have a lot more active stuff on it so it fits with our philosophies because that's way efficient to do it that way um and i guess it ties back all the way back to the 70s when in Formula One, Lotus were the, the forefront of harnessing airflow under the car, reducing the amount of wing surface through using ground effect, etc. But uh, Yeah, and obviously in the interior as well is something a little bit different. This floating beam, carbon fibre beam, gives a very different experience when you sit inside the car, very light and, uh, yeah, very uh, different uh, feel to being in the car. Well, you guys can check it out. Uh, we showed some of the images up here, but uh, go to lotuscars.com, uh, at least here in the U.S. That's where you're going to go, lotuscars.com. And uh, you can check out all the huge gallery of, of images and stuff up there. Uh, Bill, anything else for, uh, for Russell before we, before we let him go? No, Russell, we appreciate it very much. And uh, like I said, my only input would be, um, first and foremost, thank you for uh, bringing us old-school gearheads back into the uh, – the new vehicle, but uh, just make them a tiny bit bigger. I was looking at the at the footwells in there, and oh my god, I have to cut one of my feet off to get in that car. But it looks to me, it looks to me like it takes a lot from uh, the Ford GT, also in the in the aspect that it's an aero car. Yeah, it's a big. Yeah, I'm in that, uh, yeah. we're all on that train. We just took a different approach in the way we we approach the sculpture and integrating it in a way that was part of the overall form of the car. So, uh, yeah. Well, it was an honor and a privilege, Russell. Appreciate it very much. And uh, we're very excited to, to see the car come out. I didn't think I could get more excited, except for when you said that there's 500 horsepower at each corner. So. In each corner, <laughs> right? I know. It's <laughs> fantastic. Completely different level. Yeah. Uh, Russell, thank you so much. We're going to wrap some things up here. And, uh, well, hopefully we'll uh, – We'll get to connect with you in person, possibly at the, the next Monterey Car Week in 21 or, or something along yeah, those lines. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, before we wrap things up, I'll, I'll remind you guys about our friends at, uh, at, at Dodge. Uh, give your local Dodge dealer a call or send them an email. Uh, ring them up online. Where uh, your Dodge dealer, where they bring you performance, technology, and great deals. There's never been a better time right now because Dodge is offering power dollars. And with Power Dollars, you'll get $10 off for each horsepower of your new car. That's every 2019 Dodge Charger, every 2019 uh, Challenger. You can pull away in a 2019 Dodge Charger RT Scat Pack 
with 485 horsepower and receive an almost $5,000 cash allowance. So if you get more power, you get more off. It's that simple. So hurry into your local Dodge dealer, give them a ring uh, today, and take advantage of Dodge Power Dollars. One more thing with Dodge, um, during this uh, um, obviously strange time that we're in with the coronavirus, um, if you go to dodge.com and uh, uh, post a video or a photo and a story uh, with the hashtag, uh, the muscle, our muscle behind us, um, you can really bring some credit to the uh, frontline workers and anybody that you know um, on the frontline right now putting their lives uh, in jeopardy for guys like us. So thank you to each and every one. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. We're going to, I think we're all set. Uh, we're going to wrap it up next week. Um, uh, later this week uh, uh, on CarCast, Adam and I are going to be talking to Jim Farley, COO of Ford. Uh, so we got the big dogs on that show too. This has been a good week of, no of, doubt. Uh, that of was cool talking to guests. Russell. I, I could see talking to Russell uh, over over a nice cup of tea or a nice cool yeah. ale or something. Right, <laughs> right on. Like yeah, a very no. interesting guy. Um, I'd like to get he and Trussell together. You think those would be some good story? I, I think it would be great. I I love that this guy's been around with um, the the ups and downs of that company. Uh, and and stuck with it and like you said he's you can see he's been frustrated in the past with just management changes and financial changes of him saying we've had so many cars that we've designed and made clay models and i never get to see and now he's he's got sort of a clean sheet of paper with can you uh, imagine how disheartening this process would be to put your your heart and soul into a new project and take it all the way to the clay model and have it just squished right in front of you and say oh yeah Kind of like the Geico commercial, you know, but uh, <laughs> no, we're going with this now, you know, put, throw those 15,000 pamphlets away that said something else. And yeah. It, it yeah. Sounds yeah, like yeah. you're having a lot I of I know fun. you're talking about. Sounds, yeah. Sounds like a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of guys and girls, I'm sure, um, uh, gearheads are able to do some cool things on that project. So that's, that's, that's cool to hear. Um, right on. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And until uh, next time, uh, keep the air and the spare and the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Thank you so much for listening. It's what a treat to have Russell Carr on the show. It's been fantastic. And uh, as a reminder, maybe you own your home or you rent your home. Either way, it can be a lot of work. But you know it's easy, bundling your policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And that's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do around your home already. So just go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com.